Well, really are glad you're here. Let me say that again. We're, we're continuing a series of messages we started a few weeks ago and, uh, we, and about our mission and our strategy. It's just a, I think it's a good idea at the beginning of the year to remind us all uh, why we do this church. Why, why are we doing this? Why are we setting everything up every Sunday morning, tearing it down, doing it again next week, doing it you know, the week after that? And we've been doing it forever, it seems like now. Why do we do that? Why are we here every week? And so one of the things that we talked about a couple weeks ago, we talked about what the mission of our church is. And just to remind you of what that is, hopefully you could say it by now, but let me remind you the mission of our church is to help people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. And we've already talked, but you heard about that in the video about financial peace. Donnie mentioned it a while ago when he was talking about life groups. And one of the things that we want, everything that we do here is that we want it to be pointing people to the fact that without Jesus, they are not free. That he's the only way we can be free of sin, and, and, and that comes through him and only him, and we want to tell as many people as possible that message. So that's why we're here. That's our mission. That's where we're going as a church. But like I said last week, one of the things that we discovered as we got, got started is, all right, we know where we're going. Now we have to figure out how we're going to get there, and that's when we started talking about a strategy. And our strategy for a church is to create churches where people are encouraged and equipped to grow toward Jesus Christ develop real relationships, and love people. And, and I know I've used this example before, but I'm going to say it again because it makes the most sense to me and it maybe it will to you as well. But my family went on a vacation just a few, few months ago. It seems like a whole lot longer ago than that. I'm ready for another one, but we went and it was fun. And the, the thing was, we knew where we were going, but in order to get there, we had to have a plan. We couldn't just wake up one morning and go, hey, we're going to the beach. I guess we're just going to end up there in a minute. No, we had to pack a car. We had to make sure we had gas. We had to make sure the tires were right and there was oil in it and, and take off and knew a route that we were going, all that kind of stuff. And, and so for us as a church, our, our mission, that's where we're going. And our strategy is the car that we're riding in to get us there. It's the route that we're taking because it's going to keep us focused in on just a few things that we think that we need to do well. And last week we talked about grow towards Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about the second part of our strategy, which is to develop real relationships. Now, I believe that all three parts of our strategy are important, or, or we wouldn't have them included. All of them, grow towards Jesus Christ, develop relationships, and love people. All very important, all really equally important. But I think with develop real relationships, we, there are some, some particular challenges to that one that, that come from our culture. We live in a culture that is becoming more and more isolated. We live in a culture, thanks to some good things like technology and some things that it's brought into our life, now we can, if we want to, we can have less and less contact with actual people. I read a study earlier this year where there are 3 million Americans this year, in, in 2013, this past year, 3 million Americans worked from home and that meant they never set foot in an office. So there were 3 million Americans that every day they get up and, and they go to their part of their house that they work in. They don't have any contact with anybody else other than through a phone or email or that kind of stuff. And they say that number is supposed to increase by 65% over the next three years. That we are becoming more and more a, a group of people in our country who don't go out and interact with people, but we stay right where we are by ourselves. You know that just from life... Uh, when, when I was growing up, when you went to the gas station, you always had to have some type of contact with a human being. 
you had to pay them cash or pay them credit card or something and, and at least say, yeah, no, I don't want cigarettes today or whatever it is that you had to say. Nowadays, you go out and, and you go to the gas station. Oh, pay at the pump. Don't have to worry about seeing anybody. I'm going to go over here to the, gra- the, the grocery store after I get gas and I've got my groceries. I don't want to have to talk to anybody. I'm going to go to self-check and I'm going to go do the self-check. And now it's time to get paid at the end of the week or into two weeks or however often you get paid. That's great. Guess what? Don't even have to go to the bank where I get paid. They zap my money right into my account and I can go in there and I can move it around on the internet. Don't ever have to walk into the bank if I don't want to. The other day, somebody was telling me that you can go to the Apple store in the Haywood Mall, and if you have an Apple ID, you have an Apple account, which a lot of people do, that you can walk in there and anything that's on the shelves, you can walk in, you can grab it, you can go into your iPhone, and you can scan that that item and go into your Apple ID, and it'll be paid for, and you can walk out the door without a bag, without a, a, a paper receipt, without talking to anybody. And see, more and more we live in a, in a culture that is, we have the opportunity to just not react, to, to not, not interact with people if we want to. And, and you probably know this to be true based on the fact that, that when, when you were a kid, you probably knew most of the neighbors in your neighborhood. And chances are, if you're like me, you live in a neighborhood now, and you might know who they are, but you don't really know all their names, you don't know their kids' names, you don't know where they work. You don't know all that stuff like we used to, and we are becoming more and more isolated. So all that to say that if we are going to do this part of our strategy, if we as a church are going to be serious about developing real relationships, it's going to take effort. It's going to take, uh, on our part, we're going to have to put something into it because it will not happen naturally. So what I want to do today, if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got a Bible on, on a phone or an iPad or something, Go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And what I'm going to do for the first part of the message is, is I want us to look together at why it's a good idea to not live in isolation. Why it's a good idea to actually be in relationship with other people. And, and we can see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Now, as, as you're finding Ecclesiastes 4, I'm going to start with verse 1 in just a minute. Now, Ecclesiastes is an interesting book. Um, it was written, most folks believe that it was written by uh, King Solomon, who was one of David's sons. King Solomon was known for having, uh, being very wise, for having more money than anybody ever had, and, and being married to more women than anybody had, which I don't understand how wisdom and being married to all those women those two things don't go together to me, all right? So it seems like at one point he was really wise, and then he got very unwise when he said, hey, I think I'll have a thousand wives. That, that is not smart, all right? But, it, but anyway, but th- that was who, that's Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. And as you read it, it, it seems, as you first start reading it, man, this guy, he is, he's depressed or something. This is kind of negative. And, and what it is is that Solomon was writing this towards the end of his life, and he had started to see how much effort and time he had put into work, how much he counted on money to make him happy, how much he counted on sex to make him happy, how much he counted on power to make him happy, how much he counted on achievement to make him happy, and all of a sudden he realized he wasn't very happy. That all these things that he thought, this is, this is what it means, this is what life's all about. No, it's not. And, it, and he started to find himself to be more and more unhappy 
with all the things around him. And so verse chapters 1 through 3 of Ecclesiastes, he's sitting there talking about the fact that, listen, all this hard work I've done, all this stuff, it just hasn't worked out. It hasn't given me what I thought that it would give me. And so as we start chapter 4, he's kind of continuing that, uh, that, that idea. And so chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, let me read these to you. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. This is a guy who's in need of a Zoloft or something. I mean, he is in, he's in rough shape right here, right? And then verse 3, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Now, I don't know how many of you studied philosophy in college or anything like that, or have you ever read some of the great philosophers? My favorite of the great philosophers is named Bruce Springsteen. And he said, and, and um, he's right up there with all those other guys. And one of the things Springsteen said in one of his songs was, he said, there's a meanness in this world. There's a meanness in this world. Now, that's not scripture. I love Bruce Springsteen, but I understand it's not the Word of God. But you can find that truth about there's a meanness in this world. You can find that all through Scripture. That when you read the Bible, you see that there is evil in the world. You see that there are, there are things in this world that are difficult to deal with. That if you are going to be in relationship with other people, that's going to be a hard thing sometimes. And so there is difficulty in this world. And, and when I was... Um, really, for the most of the part of Sherry and I being married and, and, uh, and when we first kind of started out, I would hear all these things that would happen to these families and these people, and, and I, for some stupid reason, I thought, well, that's not going to happen to us. And doing what I do for a living, I have had the, the, um, the opportunity to see into the details of lots of people's lives and, and people would come and they would share these things with me and it's just heartbreaking stuff that had happened and I couldn't believe that, that these things were going on right here in our community and it was so difficult. But I would go away from that, praying for those folks and also saying, God, thank you that that's not happened to us. And then the last 24 months or so, we've had stuff happen to us that I thought only happened to other people. We've gone through things as a family Things with, with, with us and our children that I thought, I thought we would never experience. And, and the, the, the idea of what Bruce Springsteen said, that there's a meanness in this world, and what the Bible says that, there, that evil is real, it lives in this world, has, it's come home to roost in our house. We've seen it. We, we've lived through it. We're living through it. And, and the thing about that is, is that, that the saddest part of this verse here is the uh, verse 1 where it says that he saw the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. See, it shouldn't surprise us that life is difficult. It shouldn't surprise me and Sherry that, that we've had difficulty coming to our life. But the, the thing that's wonderful about it is is that what we've gone through, we haven't had to go through it alone because we have had people in our lives to comfort us. When we've cried about that, there's been people there to help dry those tears. When we've been discouraged, there's been people there to help encourage us along the way. 
and see what, what Solomon is saying here, the, what the real tragedy is. The real tragedy isn't that there's evil in the world. That's just a reality that we have to live with. The tragedy is, is that when you experience that and then you find yourself all alone with no one to comfort you when you go through those types of things. See, there's, a, there's an ancient Hebrew word for, for what, what we've been through and what some of you have been through, and it's loosely translated as crappy. Right? That's the, that's the loose translation. It's crappy. Sometimes life is just crappy, isn't it? I'm not talking about the fish. You know, some of y'all guys are like, man, I love crappy, you know, put it on with... No, sometimes life just, it stinks. And I'm cleaning that up. I would say maybe something different if it was just me and Sherry talking about it. But it's crappy, right? And sometimes you go through these things and you're like, what is going on? But when that happens, who do you have in your life that can be there with you? that can help you when you feel oppressed. And that's what developing real relationships will do for you. The second part of this, starting with verse 4, says this, Then I saw all saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh, better as a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. Now, the, the part, of that, part of that that caught my attention was verse 4, when it says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's, what? Say this next word with me out loud. What is it? Envy of his neighbor. So one of the things that, that we can all fall into that's very natural for us is we can start to look around at people that we know, people that we have contact with, people that we have information about their lives. We can start looking at them and thinking, why don't I have that? In fact, they don't deserve that. I do. And, and we can begin to look at people, and before we know it, we are extremely jealous of what someone else has. And it will, it will creep into our lives so quick, almost before we even realize it. And we start to think, I deserve that. Why don't I have that? I deserve a better life. Their life looks better than mine, and I deserve a better life. I'll tell you a, a place where, where that can really happen for us if we're not careful. Um, how many of you, and, and, uh, and you know, if you don't want to raise your hand because you're afraid to get a friend request, I understand. But how many of you have a Facebook account and you look at Facebook every now and then? Raise your hand up if that's you. All right, good. Yeah, most everybody like under the age of 40. I understand, all right? That's cool. Let me tell you what happens on Facebook. And I, this is why I know. It happens to me. It's happened to me. Is we look at everybody else's stuff on Facebook and we start thinking, man, they've got a better life than I do. I'll give you an example. There's a guy that I went to high school with named Wade. I won't tell you his last name, but uh, Wade is guy. In fact, not only did I go to high school with him, I knew him in elementary school. I've pretty much known Wade since the third grade, I guess. And, uh, and so knew him all my life and graduated high school, had no idea where he was, what was going on. And uh, through Facebook one day, got a friend request. Hey, Wade, send me a friend request. Okay, I'll be his friend. So first thing you do, or I do, when I get a friend request, then you go in, and what do you do? Look at everybody's pictures, right? And you're like, oh, I can't believe they did that, you know, whatever. But you, look at all this stuff. So I'm looking at all of Wade's pictures. Man, Wade has traveled the world. He had, I mean, he had, here's a pic, you know, here's an album from my trip to Italy, you know. 
Here's an album from a trip I took down to the Amazon River, and he's canoeing down the Amazon. Here's, I mean, all this places that I would love to go. And pretty soon I started looking at that, and by the time I got done looking at Wade's pictures, I was depressed, and I just went home and took a nap for the rest of the day. I felt terrible about myself. Because I was looking and I realized, man, I hadn't done any of that stuff. And looking at how much money I make now and what's projected for the future, I'm never going to get to do that stuff. And Wade's got to do it all, right? And, and here was the thing about that. As I started looking at it, then I felt bad about myself, but then I also started to feel bad about Wade. And I started to think, well, what has he done? How does he deserve that? God, I'm a pastor. I'm working for you, God. And, I don't, and what is he doing? He's just some loser, you know. I mean, I start thinking bad about him, and it all started with jealousy. And, and one of the things that it did, and, and thankfully, I, I don't have contact with Wade every day, but, but if I had, it would have been easy for me not to want to be around him. It would have been easy for me to want to isolate myself from him. Is it anything he did? No, it's because I'm jealous of what he gets to do. And I'm jealous of the person that he is. Now, let me, this is not the point of the message, but let me just take a sidebar here and just for a minute. Those of us that do that, we need to remember that Facebook, that's the highlight reel of their life. And we don't see the mundane. Wade's not going to put a picture of the counseling sessions that he's having because he's going through depression. I don't know if he is. He's not going to put pictures of that stuff. So that's just the highlight reels. And the other thing that I had to realize was Wade's not married and has no kids. And so I've got to experience some stuff that he hasn't got. I've got to experience what it's like to rock a little baby to sleep at night and know that it's mine and put her to bed. And when she gets up the next morning, she's excited to see me. He's never gotten to experience that. So I've got some highlight real stuff of mine, even though I haven't been down the Amazon River, which still would be pretty doggone cool, right? So, so that's the thing we need to But, but that's, not, that's not the main point of what I want you to recognize. What I want you to understand about this today is, is that jealousy will lead us to isolate ourselves from people. That if we're jealous of someone, it's, um, it's hard to be their friend. And if, um, if you're really jealous of somebody, it's impossible to be their close friend. And so when it says here that Solomon said, Then I saw all the toil and skill and work that comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. We need to, to be realistic about our lives, and we need to look and we say, is, is the thing that's getting in the way of me developing real relationships with somebody else, is it because I'm envious of something they've got or something they appear to have that I don't have? Is it jealousy that's getting in the way of that? Because see, what jealousy does, jealousy leads to mistrust. And mistrust becomes contempt, and contempt becomes hatred. And I know you would say, Cliff, man, I don't hate anybody. And I would tell you, I don't hate Wade. And we would all say, oh, who, who do I hate? I don't hate them. But if we're jealous of someone, we're a lot closer to that than we would want to admit. And it will cause us to isolate ourselves from them. And then we won't develop real relationships with those folks. And it will be harder to develop with other people. Well, we believe that, that there should be a better way of living. For folks who are believers in Jesus, if you're a part of this church and 
We believe there should be a better way of living, that we should be able to move beyond isolation. We should be able to move beyond being lonely and and having no one to help us through difficulty. And and Solomon begins to talk about those things when you get to verse 9. Go to verse 9 through 12, and look at what he says. He says, this is a bad way to live before, and and work and all this stuff doesn't fulfill. And then he says, how about this? This is a better way to live, starting with verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. See, the reality is, and what we want you to know today is that If you will be in a close, trustworthy relationship with other people, that leads to a more fulfilling life. It's just the way we're designed. The way this, the way, what we need in this world is we need to be able to be in close, safe, trustworthy relationships. And that will lead to a more fulfilling and a healthier life. You know, verse 9 there, it says, it says, one of the basic things is you accomplish more. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. You know that to be true whether you're digging a hole or working on some other type of project. If you get two people working on it and, and two people that enjoy being together and, and understand what each other are trying to do, you can get more done when you have two or three or four people working on that instead of us all trying to do things by ourselves. And then verse 10 and 11, again, it goes back to how it helps us through difficulty. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. And then verse 11, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? That this life is difficult. There will be hardship. And how do we get through that the best possible way? By going through that together. By me walking with you through your difficulty, you walking with me through my difficulty, me walking with you through your success, you walking with me through my success, and that's the better way for us to live life. Now, if we can all agree that that's better, if we can all agree that, okay, being in relationship with people is better than being isolated, if we can agree to that, then how do we do that? What are some things that we can do to make that happen? Well, one of the the great things about reading through the New Testament, uh, especially when you get like from... uh, after Acts, like Romans through Revelation, there are tons of verses in the New Testament that have a phrase in there, one another. There are all these one another verses. And, uh, and one day, we're, I'm going to uh, just letting you all know, one day we're going to do like a whole series of messages where I'm going to take every one another verse and just preach through the whole thing. It might be like a year-long series. But we're going to do that one day because I think that, that, that we all need to be reminded of, okay, we're supposed to be a church. We're supposed to be living together. So what does the New Testament say about how we're supposed to do that? How are we supposed to be living together? How am I supposed to react to you? How are you supposed to react to me? And we find that in those one another verses. I'm going to share four of those one another verses with you today. And, and the first one is 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And here's the word in that. The first word that I want you to write down is encourage. Encourage. Write down the word encourage. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This world that we live in can be discouraging. And, and in fact, um, 
All right, today there's, they're going to play two football games today. And some of y'all I know don't care about it. And some of you care a lot about it. But either way, they're going to play two football games today. And I can almost guarantee you that one of the teams is going to lose that one of those games because someone's going to make a mistake. Something's going to happen. Someone's going to throw a key interception. Someone's going to miss an assignment on a, on a pass coverage. Somebody's going to fumble. Something's going to happen. And tomorrow morning on sports radio all across this country and on the Internet, people will focus more on the mistake that's made than all the good plays that are made by the winning team. And so sometimes I think we, even though we're not athletes, I, sometimes I think we go through life thinking, instead of how can I be the best, we're thinking how can I keep from making a mistake that everyone will find out about. Because this world can be very discouraging. There's not a lot of encouragement out there for us. Now maybe you work in a, in a workplace where you've got a, a boss or, or maybe you are the boss and, and y'all are all encouraging each other. Man, good job patting you on the back. You're great. So glad that you're at work today. We're a better company because of you. Maybe that's the, 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 the environment you work in. But chances are most of you work in an environment where the only things that are mentioned are when you mess up. If you're doing your job, nobody says a whole lot. But first time you mess up, well, i got to call you in. we got to talk. And there's got to be some type of big thing that goes on with that. Because we don't have a lot of encouragement in this life that we live in. I was talking a few years ago with a friend of mine who um, he, uh, he was in charge of helping new churches get started all across our state, all across the state of South Carolina. And so we were, at that time, we were young, just being started, and I was talking to him about how can we help start other churches, and it's through some of those conversations that now that's why we support different churches that we do financially, why we're supporting two churches in the Charleston area right now, one in the Myrtle Beach area, and, and, uh, and got plans to, and to support. We're supporting one now, actually, it's getting ready to start in Greer uh, this, this spring, and so we're, that's what we do. But, but I was having a conversation with him, and he told me something, he said, you know, Cliff, he said, I'm growing really tired of listening to people deconstruct the church. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I'm growing tired of having conversations with people, and all they want to tell me is how the church is doing all this stuff wrong. And how this church, this is what they're doing wrong, and they're a terrible church because of this. And this pastor, he, he said, I'm growing very tired of that. He said, because anybody can deconstruct. He said, it takes hard work to construct, to come up with something encouraging. And that's true for us in our relationships, isn't it? Anybody, you can look at anybody you're in a relationship with, and if you want to, you can find three, four, five things about them that just drive you crazy. That they're doing wrong. That they should be doing different. And if we're not careful, that's all we focus on. But what, what, is, what does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we're supposed to do? We're not supposed to discourage each other. He says, encourage one another and build one another up. That's what we're called to do. Yes, there's going to be shortcomings. Yes, people are not perfect. Guess what? We're not either. And what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just come all the time focus on what they can't do right? No, instead we focus on how can I help them be better? How can I encourage them? How can I build them up? How can I focus on the positive things that they do and just talk that up to them and make them feel better about who they are and what Jesus wants them to do? Second word that I want you to write down is serve. Serve. Galatians 5.13. Here's a great, another one of those one another verses. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
All of us have an opportunity to do things for other people. To put our needs aside for just a little bit and focus on what is something that someone else needs. Someone else in this congregation that you know. Someone else that you're in a life group with. How can I serve them? What, where do they have going on that I see, oh, I've got a skill in this area. I've got an ability. I've got just, maybe it's just taking some time to listen. Whatever it is. But I can serve them. I can spend some time doing something to help them. And it's for their benefit And I'm doing it for their good. But guess what? You're going to get something good out of it. We're supposed to serve one another. Um, I guess, I don't know, it's been a few months ago now. uh, One day our oven quit working. And uh, it was a surprise because we've had that same oven for like 15 years or something. So I was very shocked. But uh, but anyway, but it it quit working and it wasn't working right. And so I called this, uh, found this place that, you know, they do um, repairs. And so I called them. These guys come out and charged us some money to look at it, and then said, hey, it's going to cost this much. Here's what the problem is. It's going to cost this much to fix it. Well, however much it cost to fix it was going to be almost as much as buying a new oven. So I said, okay, I guess we'll just buy a new oven. Well, then I found out, and guys, I don't know if you're aware of this, but just let me let you in on it. You can't just buy a new oven because now the oven won't match the refrigerator or the dishwasher. So you got to buy everything, Right. And so Sherry and I were making plans to buy everything, right? And uh, I happened just to mention to Donnie one day that our oven was out, and dadgummit, now we've got to buy everything brand new. And uh, Donnie said, oh, man, that stinks. What's, what's, what's the problem with it? I told him. Then I go back to my office, and Donnie calls me and says, hey, I found the part to, to your oven. It's a place in Greenville. They got it. It doesn't look like it's too hard to fix I said, how much is the part? It was much cheaper than it was going to cost to get that part put in by somebody. And he said, why don't, why don't you get it and we'll put it in? And I said, all right. Now, let me tell you, I don't know, those of y'all that don't know, don't know Donnie, but uh, Donnie today, let's say Donnie this afternoon, he told Shelly, you know what, Shelly, I'm really interested in sculpting. He could go home today and watch a YouTube video, and next weekend he could sculpt you something that you want to put in your house. I mean, he... He has an amazing ability to do uh, just anything he wants to do. So, so I immediately, you know, so since Donnie said he thought he could fix my oven, now I've got other friends, you know, if they said, hey, we can fix that oven, I'd be, I, I think we're going to buy three new appliances, don't bother. But since it was Donnie, I was like, yeah, man, let's try it. And so I got the part and he came over and we got that thing done and, and it didn't take us too long. But here was, here was the point of that. The point of that is, is that, Donnie could have had that conversation with me and said, ah, daggum, Cliff, too bad, you know, hate that you have to buy that. And he's busy. He's got stuff going on. It's not like he's got all the time in the world to be fixing my oven. But he looked at an opportunity. Hey, here's a way that I can serve Cliff. Here's a way that I can help him out. I'm good at this kind of stuff. I don't want him to have to spend this much money. Here's an opportunity. And all of us have things that we're good at, things that we can help out with people. And what the scripture says is that if we want to develop real relationships with people, we should be looking to serve each other, not just looking to see what we can get from one another. Third word that I want you to write down, challenge, challenge. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day 
drawing near. You know that word stir up there? There's another word that you can use for that that that's used sometimes in translations for that Greek word, and that word is provoke. And see, when we hear provoke, we think of that's, that provoke sounds negative to us. That I'm going to provoke you into a fight or provoke you to anger, that kind of thing. But what he's saying here is that, that we have an opportunity as, as believers that all believe in Jesus that are developing real relationships with each other. We have an opportunity to provoke each other to goodness, to stir up in each other good works. And so that by us spending time together, by us talking with one another, that it makes you want to grow towards Jesus Christ more because of what you see in my life. Life. And, and I want to grow towards Jesus Christ more because of what I see in your life. It says that we should stir up one another towards love and good works. You know, um, those of you that are raising kids, especially those of you that have teenagers, you know that it's really important for your kids who they hang around with, isn't it? And, and you know that, that there are some kids that your son or daughter hangs around with and and if they hang around with them, you're probably going to get a call from the Greer Police Department. And then there's other kids that if they hang around with them, they're going to do better stuff and, and like, you know, paint an elderly person's house. It just seems to be that way, right? Well, I think we're not a whole lot different. I remember when I was in high school, there was a, I was in a, an English class in the 10th grade, and there was a buddy of mine named Ronnie that sat on this side of me, and a buddy of mine named Greg that sat in front of Ronnie, and the three of us, that was not a good, that, we were not stirring one another up towards love and good works in that English class. We were stirring one another up towards laughter and not paying attention to what was going on. And, and you, those of you that are teachers know sometimes you've got to separate those people. Well, for us, as we're going through life, if we're going to develop real relationships, we need to seek out those relationships where we're with people that we know, you know what, I'm a better person when I hang out with her or with him. Or recognizing the other side of it. You know what, every time I'm with her, I end up gossiping about all the people at church. Maybe I shouldn't have coffee with her this week because I know we're just going to run somebody into the ground. And so we are supposed to challenge each other to be better. Challenge each other towards love and good works. And then the fourth word I want you to write down, and this is so key, is forgive. Forgive. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, I want you to pay real close attention to this part. If you've checked out, check back in right now. All four of these words that I just gave you, encourage, serve, challenge, and forgive. All of them are important. But if you don't include forgive in your relationships, I can guarantee you that whatever relationship you're in, no matter how strong it is, no matter how long you've been in it, if you don't include forgive, that relationship will die. At some point, that relationship will die. And here's why. We are always going to offend each other at some point. Sometime in the relationship, someone's going to do something that, that catches you off, that you don't like, that, that, that's discouraging instead of encouraging. 
And it might be you and it might be the other person. And if, if, if we refuse to forgive, we might say, hey, I'm going to challenge each other. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to serve one another. But I'm not going to forgive. Then that relationship is doomed from the start. And, and here's the, the key to this verse that is so important. Is it says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You know the way we forgive? We're, we're slow to forgive. And then we're limited in how much we will forgive. And we're limited in how often we will forgive. How, how many times have, have you said or, or heard someone around you say, well, it's just going to take me some time. I, what they've done to me is so bad, I, I don't know. It's going to take me a long time to be able to forgive them. Or said something like this, well, I've forgiven them so many times for, for different things. I've just, I've just drawn a line. That's it. No more. Or I could have forgiven them if they did this, but this thing they did? No, that's just too, that's just too much to forgive them for. We're slow to forgive. We're limited in how much and how often. But you know what? You know how God forgives? God forgives immediately, completely, and repeatedly. You ought to write that down. That's good stuff right there. I'm just going to tell you. Seriously, God forgives immediately, completely, and repeatedly. Now, what does the Scripture say? How are we supposed to forgive? Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, which is immediately, completely, and repeatedly. If we're going to really do what our strategy says as a church that we want to do, if we're really going to develop real relationships, then it's going to have to be based on these things. It's going to have to be based on forgiveness. Because I can tell you that if you're a friend of mine for very long, it's not going to take me long to offend you. I'm really good at that. I'm awesome at offending people. And so it's going to take forgiveness. And it's not going to take long for me to need to forgive you because you're going to do something stupid that's going to get on my nerves, right? I'm half kidding about that. But that listen, we've got to be able to forgive. Now, let me say this. Being in real relationships with people is, is scary because we have to be vulnerable to do that. We have to be open about who we are the good and the bad, but it's worth it. Go back to Ecclesiastes 4, verse 13. I stopped with verse 12 a while ago. Then verse 13, he kind of ends this thought, and he says this. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. What Solomon's saying there, listen, you're better off to be broke and full of friendships and people around you that can encourage you than to be the most powerful person in the world and unwilling to listen to what anyone else has to say and to isolate yourself. It's worth it. Developing real relationships is worth it if you will give it a shot. Now, last week I gave you, um, I gave you some handles for the message. Remember last week we talked about grow towards Jesus Christ? And the handles I gave you, I gave you uh, 
a, a personal handle, and handles are something that gives you, you can hold on to what we've talked about. The first one that I gave you was to read the scripture. I hope you've done that since last week. I hope you're continuing to do that. I hope you have a plan. And then, then, the, then I gave you a handle that we do as a group, which was a be in worship and be in a life group. Let me give you some handles for developing real relationships. Here's the first one, the personal one. This is something only you can do. I can't do it for you. We can't schedule this for you as a church staff. So here's the first personal handle for you as you try to develop real relationships. And it is spend time with others twice a month. Here's what I mean by that. I'm talking about folks in this congregation that you want to develop a real relationship with. Find time outside of Sunday morning and outside of life group that you're going to spend time with those folks twice a month. It can be going to lunch. It can be going out to dinner, going to a movie, playing golf, fishing, working out together, whatever it is that you want to do. But find time to spend time with people outside of here twice a month. I can't do that for you. I can't have a sign-up sheet. Okay, we're going to, here's, you know, here's this family over here. Who wants to go out to dinner with them? Who wants to get to know them? That doesn't work. You're going to have to do that on your own. You're going to have to look around, and you're going to have to say, you know what, that's someone we talk to every week. We've never been to their house. They've never been to our house. Invite them over. Spend time with people twice a month. Now, here's the handles for us as a group, and it kind of looks familiar to some we talked about last week. Handles as a group. Get in a life group and find a place to serve. Now, let me talk about the first one, get in a life group. You have an opportunity right now to pull out your iPhone and ignore me and register online or to walk out the door and to sign up in a life group right now. Developing real relationships. Now, listen, let me listen. I, I want to I be real clear about this. Now, some of you have been in life groups before, and you say, Cliff, I was in that life group, and I didn't develop a relationship with anybody. And I would say, that's not the group's fault. All right? When I say get in a life group, and if you're going to get in that life group and develop real relationships, first of all, you got to go. So you can't just, we signed up and we went the first week, and then we missed the next six weeks because we had something else going on. And if you're going to go, you've got to go and you've got to actually talk to people. And you've got to say, hey, here's somebody in my life group that, that I've met. Now I'll invite them to my house. And we'll try to do something with them twice this month or whatever it is. But you've got to participate, all right? But getting in a life group is a great opportunity for you to sit down across from folks in a circle that you see going and coming here on Sunday mornings. And now you get to find out what their name is, where they work, how many kids they have, how they hate their neighbor's dog, and all those kinds of things. You get to find out those things, all right? Second thing, part of this, get in a life group. The second one is find a place to serve. Now, we have tons of opportunities here on Sunday mornings for you to serve. You can, I mean, I don't even want to go through it all, but there's tons of things that you can do, that you can be involved in. And a great way to get to know other people and to begin to develop a relationship with them is by doing something side by side with them every Sunday morning or one Sunday, one month out of the year, whatever it is, that you're with them and all of a sudden you realize, hey, I've just been showing up and walking in and sitting down and then waiting until the service is over and walking back out. Now all of a sudden here I am and we're setting up screens or we're keeping babies or we're greeting people at the door and now I know who this person is and I'm beginning to develop a relationship with them. So the handles that I want to give you today, I want you to write these down, look for opportunities to do them. First one, personal do something with other people twice a month, and then as a group, this is something we all do together, get in a life group and find a place to serve. Now, I'm going to close this, and um, I just want you today, uh, as we leave here, to understand that um, you are a person 
that other folks would benefit from knowing. Because I think sometimes we don't like to get in relationships because we think we have nothing to offer somebody else. And we see people in a life group, or you see me standing up here on this stage, and you think, well, they've got it all together. And if I was like them, well, I'd have a lot of friends. But whatever it is that you're going through, have been through, are going to go through, whatever your deal is, you are a person that can be extremely influential in the life of another person. And you are a person that people need to get to know. You have something to offer in the lives of other people in this congregation. Father God, I thank you for giving us your word and and just how clear it is about certain things. And uh, We know that life is difficult, but God, it will be easier for us if, if we're surrounded by people who will encourage us and serve us and forgive us and challenge us. And so I pray that we would be those types of people. Father, that I would be a man who encourages the other people in my life. That I would be a man who looks for opportunities to serve others. That I would be a man who challenges the people that I'm in a relationship with to live more like you. And that I would be a man who forgives just like you forgive. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.